So, church, we did it. We made it through the book of 1 Corinthians. <laughs> there is always a bit of sadness with a sense of accomplishment when we complete a book of the Bible. Sadness because, hey, you've spent a lot of time in a particular book. You've gotten to know the author and the characters and the events and the issues in play, and they kind of become near and dear to your heart in some ways. But there's also the sense of accomplishment that we actually preached through the book of 1 Corinthians. I mean, this is one of the most controversial, difficult books of the Bible to work through, and we made it by the grace of God. And so I, I am thrilled at all that the Lord did uh, through, I mean, we've spent about a year and a half off and on going through this book. Uh, and so it has been exciting to see the way the Lord has used this to build unity in the church, to mature us, to grow us. Uh, to challenge us. And the last thing in the world that I want to happen is for us to just sort of move on to the next thing. That, that there are things in 1 Corinthians that I hope you will continue to meditate on, wrestle with, work out in your own life and life in the church and grow in. I mean, the whole idea of talking about using your spiritual gifts and the unity of the church, that isn't something that just goes away when we move on to the next uh, sermon series. Like that is life in the church every single day. And so I hope the words of 1 Corinthians will continue to shape you, will continue to reflect on them. Um, but I'm also excited for you all uh, because this, the rest of the spring and the summer, uh, Pastor Paul is going to lead you through two different series. So starting next week, uh, you all are going to be going through a series on the Apostles' Creed, which is just walking through the basics of the Christian faith, which I think is going to be great as a way to just build our hope and confidence in what it means to follow Christ. What are the core doctrines of Christianity? Uh, so that's going to be a great series. We'll have some guest uh, preachers uh, as part of that series as well. And then later in the summer, as we do every summer, we will spend some time in the Psalms. And so uh, that'll be a good time just to reflect on what it means to be worshipers and those who trust in the Lord through all of life circumstances. And so that's what's coming um, over the next uh, several months. Um, and just as a reminder, hey, I'm not going to see you guys for a while. <laughs> and so this is, uh, I think it's appropriate, finishing 1 Corinthians as a way to kind of usher into sabbatical. Um, I won't be in the pulpit again until the first Sunday in September. And so I'm going to miss you all. Um, we'll miss this experience, but uh, I'm so excited for what the Lord has for you uh, in the Apostles' Creed and the Psalm series uh, this spring and summer. And so with all of that, uh, please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 16, if you have not done so. Uh, and one of the things that we have highlighted throughout this entire series is that the church in Corinth was messy, dysfunctional in a lot of ways. Lots of sin, lots of relational conflict, lots of theological issues going on in the church. They were very gifted. Paul points that out. They had a lot of knowledge gifted in speech. They understood theology and philosophy. There was a lot there to celebrate, but on top of all of that, lots of mess, lots of dysfunction. And here's a question. I wonder if you ever asked yourself through this entire series, especially those of you that have been with us for quite a bit of time, and you've seen the extent of the mess and dysfunction that was in this church. Did you, have you ever asked yourself this question, would I have stayed in that church? Would I have stayed in the church in Corinth in light of all the mess and all the dysfunction and all the conflict? Well, in some ways, it's a trick question because there wasn't any other option for you to go to in first century Corinth. Like, this was it. It isn't like you could go to Second Baptist Church of Corinth or First Presbyterian Church or that cool church down the street with the name City in it. <laughs> there were no other options for you. These, this, this was the church community in Corinth. 
but just for the sake of argument, would you have stayed? Would you have stayed with this church community? And the reason I ask is because, sadly, it is too common, far too common, especially in our culture today, to really trash the church, to, to bounce from church to church, or to, to just completely walk away from the church altogether. And I want to be clear about something. I want to be very clear about something. I am not saying, I am not saying that there isn't ever a good reason to leave a church. I mean, sometimes there are theological differences that rise to the occasion that, hey, based on what a church believes, it's just best if we find a different church. And that can be done very well and in love without being divisive. And so sometimes those things happen and it's okay. But sometimes what happens more painfully is that a church becomes doctrinally unhealthy, becomes maybe culturally, within the culture of the church and the practice of the church and relationally becomes maybe uh, unhealthy to such an extent that it's abusive, that for sake of loyalty to Jesus and spiritual health, you need to leave. That happens. And that is some of you in this room, that is your story, and I get it. That's part of my story too. There are reasons why we sometimes have to say, hey, as much as I love the church and try to love these people and want this to be a good thing, that we have to leave. But here's what I want us to be honest about. For every one good reason to leave the church, there are 10 terrible reasons. For every legit critique that we can make of a church, there are 10 vicious attacks. And so in our culture, it's far too easy to just trash the church. It's far too easy to be skeptical and cynical of the church, to even see the church as something that is harmful to our spiritual health. And, and so we kind of come to this place where maybe at best, if I can find a church that's good enough, hey, I'll go and I'll sort of see it as a nice to have. I'll see it as something that, hey, it's good for me to do this, but I don't see it as absolutely vital to my spiritual health and obedience to Jesus. Or I don't see that when God calls me to himself, he's called me into a family, and to follow Jesus means to follow him into his family. Or to have the belief that I need the church, and the church needs me. Like, that isn't what predominates our cultural mindset when it comes to the church. And so if you take sort of the air we breathe when it comes to the attitudes about the church, and in light of what was going on in Corinth, would you have stayed? Look, I'd like to think that I would have, but I don't know. To be honest with you, I don't know. I don't know. Shaped as I have been shaped, the, the things that I carry within me today, if you were to transport me back in time, would I have stayed in that church? I don't know. But here's what we have to wrestle with, church. Here's what we have to be honest about. The Bible is absolutely honest about the sin and mess in the church. Like the Bible never flatters the people of God, never flatters its heroes. If you look at just the New Testament, letter after letter, book after book is addressing issues in the church and you get an up close and personal glimpse of how sinful and dysfunctional the people of God could be. And, and so make no mistake, the Bible is honest about all of this. It gives voice to all of this. If you felt in your soul, hey, there's something wrong with the church. Hey, the Bible says yes. Oftentimes there is something wrong. However, as dysfunctional and sinful and messy as the church in Corinth was, here's the Apostle Paul's words to them. First in, ver in chapter 16, verses 23 and 24. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. 
my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. And then at the beginning of the book, he says this, I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus. Grace to you. My love to you. I'm thankful for you. And you got to kind of be wondering, Paul, are we talking about the same people? Like, are we talking about the same people, Paul? You're saying grace and love and thankfulness to those who are clicky and arrogant theologically? To, to the ones who were falling into sexual immorality and indulging all of their, their pleasures? Those who were taking each other to court and suing one another, getting drunk on the communion wine, using their spiritual gifts for status rather than loving and serving other people? The ones who had wonky theology about the, the resurrection, grace and love and thankfulness to them? Yes. You, you mean you, you didn't get on social media and blast them? No. Love, grace, thankfulness to them. I mean, how counterintuitive. How counterintuitive to how our culture and the mindset so often that can permeate our hearts and minds about the church. And so as we close out our series in 1 Corinthians, like I want to highlight an overarching theme that really has permeated the entirety of the book, but I, but I want to make it explicit and direct. And so the title of my message this morning is this, Love for a Messy Church. We started this series with a, with a message titled, Hope for a Messy Church. Now we're at this place of love for a messy church. And here's the main point for us. Love the messy people Jesus loves. Love the messy people Jesus loves. Rather than trashing the church or being cynical about the church or bailing on the church, let's love the church. Mess and sin and all. Now, I understand how a message like this could land on some of you. I get it. You, you bring scars and wounds and pains and experiences to the room, and that's okay. I want you to be honest about it. Acknowledge that. Acknowledge that maybe some of the things that I'm going to say will stir some things in your heart, maybe make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. I don't want you to run away from that. I don't want you to bury that and stuff that. But here's what I would ask. Just for the, the next few moments as we're walking through some passages of Scripture and kind of surveying the entirety of 1 Corinthians, that you would ask, Lord, what do you have for me here? What do you have for me? Lord, are there ways that you want to bring healing and build my trust and my hope in you and go deeper in my love for the church because of you? And if you ask the Lord to do that and be honest about what's going on in your soul, I think you're going to find that the Lord has some great things for you this morning. And so let's jump in to looking at what it means to love the messy people that Jesus loves. And so how do we do this? Let's, let's just ask this question. How do we move from a place of cynicism to love? How do we stir affections for something that can seem so messy and dysfunctional at times? Well, here's where we start. We need to see the church as Jesus sees the church. Like if all we do is focus on the sin and the mess and the dysfunction, if all we do is look at the darkness and wallow in the darkness, hey, that's all we're going to see. That is going to be in the forefront of our minds. That's how we're going to define this community called the church. But if we start to see the church through the eyes of Jesus, the same way he sees his people, it changes our perspective. How does Jesus see his church? How does he see this messy, sinful, dysfunctional group of people? as a bride that he loved and died for. As Paul writes in his letter to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 5, 26 and 27, he 
is calling husbands to love their wives, and he does so by highlighting how Jesus loves the church. And here's what he says. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of the water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. Like Jesus loves his church so much so that he laid down his life. He gave his very life so that he could save and rescue and redeem and cleanse her, renew her, restore her, make her holy and blameless in his sights. Like friends, Jesus doesn't look at the church and go, sinful, messy, dysfunctional, writing you off. No, he's going, holy, blameless, my bride who I love. Like let that sink in for a moment. Jesus loves his church that much. So much so that he died to make her holy and blameless and beautiful. Sinful, yes. Mess, absolutely. But by the love and the power of Jesus Christ, sin and mess don't get the final word. That's not the final word over the church. And so when we walk in cynicism, when we walk in anger towards the church, when we want to remove ourselves from the church, what we're saying is final word, sin and mess. Where Jesus says final word, holy and blameless. That's how Jesus views his church. Do you see the church with the same love and affection? Do you see the church sin and mess and all, but through the eyes of love, the love that Jesus has for his church? And also, here's what we need to come to grips with too. (laughs) Jesus is the resurrected and reigning king, right? He is Lord with all authority in in heaven and on earth. Like Jesus is the son of God, God incarnate. He is the king, the creator. And so what Jesus loves is always right and good to love. Like Jesus' affections are set on the right things. He's perfect, he's holy, he's true. So if Jesus loves something, you and I should love it too. Because it's right to love that thing. Jesus loves his church. And so those of us who follow him, those of us who are his disciples, those of us who have been transformed and have his presence, we have the presence of the Spirit, he calls us to love the things that he loves. And so we love the church. Here's what this also means, friends. That man, yes, we can offer critique, and it is good to do that, as we're going to talk about here in a second, but man, we need to be careful about disrespect in the church. As much as sometimes we have to bring strong words, we should never be disrespectful of Jesus' bride. Like, I'm a, I'm a pretty laid-back guy. Those of you who know me, I'm a pretty laid-back guy. Like, I don't get super worked up. For those of you into the Enneagram, I'm a nine, which means I'm a peacemaker. Like, I'm, I'm all about, hey, let's just be chill here. But if you want to see me go from zero to ticked off in like half a second, disrespect my wife. Does that mean that I think my wife is perfect? No. Like, look, I know her sin better than you all do. But she's my bride. She's my wife. Like, like she's my heart. She's my love. Like, I've given my life by the grace of God to see that she thrives. Like, she's my everything. And for you to disrespect her would be the highest insult. Friends, the church is sinful and messy. But more than that, she's loved. (laughs) She's loved by Jesus. And here's the good news for you. It means Jesus loves you. Messy, sinful, dysfunctional you. 
Like that love is not just some abstract entity out there. It's directed at you. Jesus loves sinful, messy you because you're part of his people. He died for you. He died to make you holy and blameless. This is how Jesus views you and views his church. And so friends, do we love the church? Do we see the church as Jesus sees it? Let us see through the eyes of Jesus and love the messy people Jesus loves. So how do we do this? Well, I want to give you three categories briefly here. First, we love the messy people Jesus loves through humility. Like, we need to be people who are humble. As 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5 tells us, love is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, and is not self-seeking. Like, love leads us to a posture of humility with others. Not proud, not arrogant, not I'm better than you, but a posture of humility. Recognizing, recognizing that we are part of the messy church. Look, look I, I know that none of you would ever think you're part of the problem. <laughs> like it's always someone else, isn't it? Like it's always that other person in gospel community or in the church. Man, they're messy. They're kind of frustrating. They're kind of annoying. But not me. Never would it ever be me. But friends, let's be honest. Like you're part of the problem. I'm part of the problem. We're all part of the problem. We are all part of this messy thing called the church. Like the church is messy and sinful and dysfunctional because it's made up of messy, sinful, dysfunctional people. And congratulations, you're part of that group. Like let's just be honest about that. And that should cause us to be humble. Like the grace and love and mercy that that person over there that annoys you needs is the same grace and love and mercy that you need. The same transforming power of the gospel that they need is the same transforming power of the gospel you need. And so friends, we're humble. We acknowledge that we are in need of grace. We are in need of mercy. None of us is above it. And so if I can kind of direct this in two different directions here first. Like, I love you, but some of you all need to be more honest about this. Like, some of you need to be honest. You are more of a mess than you want to admit. Like, there, there is more there than you want to acknowledge and often do acknowledge. Like, if it weren't for the grace of God, you would still be enslaved in your sin. You would be blinded by the enemy and his lies and deception. You would be without hope in this world. Jesus had to die for you just as he had to die for that person that you point the finger at. Friends, be humble. Be honest. And this is not to get you to wallow in your sin and rub your face in it. It's just to recognize, hey, you need grace and mercy. You need the compassion of God on you. And as you recognize that, as you're humble and acknowledge, I need this grace, I need this mercy, I need this compassion, what does it do? It fills your heart with love for others. You look at other people and their mess and their sin, their dysfunction, and you go, hey, I'm in the same boat. Like, I need the grace of God too. And yeah, maybe I'm not in the exact same place, but I need the grace of God just as much as they do. And what I want for them, I want for myself. And what I want for myself, I want for them. And so church, we need to be humble and acknowledge we're all in this. 
We all need the grace of God. We all need that compassion. And so be humble and love the messy people Jesus loves. And there's another side to this too. In some ways, maybe a little bit more subtle. That some of you, your cynicism about the church is actually projection of your cynicism towards yourself. Like you think you're so messy, so broken, that it feels overwhelming. You've, you've lost hope and it feels crushing. And that weight just is so much, you don't want to deal with it. You don't want to bear it. So you get mad at the church. I don't want to focus on myself. So let me take all that cynicism and anger out on everybody else. And so that sort of anger that you go at with the church, the, the way you can look down on people and be angry at people and, 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 and sort of lose hope for other people, that's really a reflection of how you view what's going on in your own soul. Friends, that's pride too. Self-pity. It, it's being rude and it's, not, it's being self-seeking. It's not love. It's not love. And so here's what I want to remind you of. Yes, you're messy. Yes, you're sinful. But the grace of God is greater than your sin and your mess. The grace of God is more powerful than your sin and your mess. The grace of God is more powerful than any darkness that you feel stuck in. Like I love the way the Apostle Paul talked about himself in 1 Corinthians 15. He, he, wrote, he writes this in verses 9 and 10. He says, For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Paul was so aware of his sin and his mess. Like he knew who he was. But did he allow that to crush him and cause him to slink off and get angry at the church and cynical at the church? No. Why? Because he had such a big view of the grace of God. Like he knew the power of the grace of God in his life, how it had rescued and redeemed him and transformed him and was transforming him. And so he was more aware of that than his brokenness. And so he could be humble and hopeful at the same time. And so if you are walking in cynicism because you're cynical about yourself and what God is doing in you, humble yourself before the grace of God. Put your hope and your trust in his power in your life and become free from that cynicism and start to see through the eyes of love for others. Be humble and love the messy people that Jesus loves. Second, we love the messy people Jesus loves by taking responsibility. Have you ever had one of those moments where you are fired up for a project and you like, let's say you're, you're like in a clean room or organize something and you like walk into the room and you look at it and you're like, wow, that's a big mess. I'm out. <laughs> Like, have you ever had those moments? <laughs> have you ever had that experience with people? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. So let, me, let, me, let me step into this. Let me step forward. And then it's like, whoa, that's a bigger mess. And I realized, hey, I'll pray for you. <laughs> Hope you're doing well. Call me if you need anything. Friends, to love something means to take responsibility for it. When you love your spouse, you take responsibility for your spouse. When you love your kids, you take responsibility for your kids. Whatever it is that you love, you take responsibility for it, no matter how difficult. You don't just hand it over to problems and hardship and sin and mess. You don't just let people wallow and say, hey, give it your best shot. I'm going to kind of be over here. No, you take responsibility. You enter in. And it's hard sometimes, isn't it? It's hard to enter in and take responsibility for things that seem so overwhelming, so messy, so difficult. But this is why the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, or 13, love is patient, love is kind, 
Love is not irritable and does not keep a record of wrongs. Like patience, kindness, forgiveness, like that requires entering into some difficult things. That requires getting inside people's mess with them. You can't exercise patience and kindness and forgiveness and not being irritable and keep everybody at arm's length, right? Like you might think you're patient until you step into the situation and realize you're not patient. Like Paul calls them to these things because he wants them to take responsibility for one another. He's not just saying, hey, have good feels about each other. No, enter into each other's lives. This is what Paul did himself. He didn't just peace out, I'm leaving Corinth, right if you need anything. No, he was active in presence. He took responsibility for what was going on, for the struggles and the hardships going on in the church. He didn't just resign them to their sin. He didn't just leave them in their sin. Because as 1 Corinthians 13 also says, love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Paul loved them, and so he took responsibility for them. He called them to love each other, to take responsibility for each other. Don't let the sin and the mess and the dysfunction have their way. No, take responsibility for one another. And so the question for us, are we, are you, loving the messy people Jesus loves by taking responsibility? Like you're taking ownership for one another, ownership for the life and the culture of this church. Do you love others enough to enter into their mess? Do you love others enough to get up close and personal with them, enter into their lives, not just talk at them, but to take responsibility for them and walk with them? Not just saying, not just saying, hey, I'll pray for you and kind of leave it at that. Now look, prayer is absolutely vital. Absolutely vital. Pray, 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 and keep praying for one another. However, what often happens is prayer becomes a cover, an excuse, or at least we say we do. How often do we really do that? But we can use prayer as a spiritual sounding cover to deflect any responsibility that we should be taking for people. And really, our prayer for people should be empowering and encouraging and motivating us to actually enter into people's lives. Because look, to walk in patience, to walk in kindness, to walk in forgiveness requires lots of prayer. Lots and lots of prayer. And look, if you have not come to that place with people where you're actually having to walk in patience, walk in kindness, walk in forgiveness, you haven't taken enough responsibility. Like, think about that. Think about this just, those of you who are married, in your marriages. Like, patience, love, kindness, these things are hard, right? And they're hard because you're actually getting in each other's lives, or should be. The moment those things become easy probably means you've stopped engaging one another. The same thing with your kids, or any other relationship, or any other task, so friends, taking responsibility is going to be very, very difficult and we absolutely need the Spirit in prayer. But when you are praying and seeking the Spirit and walking in patience and kindness and forgiveness and you start to feel the pressure of that and the challenges of that, you know you're starting to take responsibility. And so friends, do we care? Do we care about the spiritual health of our brothers and sisters? Like, do you care about the culture of First City Church? Do you care if, this, if we are growing in godliness and obedience and faith, or are you indifferent? Oh, yeah, it's not that bad. It's not that sinful. It's not that dysfunctional. So we're all right. 
Or is it, no, I want to see my brothers and sisters thrive and grow. I want to, become, I want to see this culture of this church become more and more godly and like Jesus. Like, do you care enough about people to take responsibility for them? Take responsibility for the entirety of the church. Now, listen, I am not talking about being heavy-handed and nitpicky. Oh, the last thing in the world we need is to be heavy-handed and nitpicky. That's not the same thing. That's control. That's, that's arrogance. That's irritability. No. We walk in love and patience and grace, not nitpicky. But if we are afraid that that's what we be, would become, if we're so afraid that, man, if I start to take responsibility, I might become this nitpicky, judgmental person, then it probably means you're trying to do it in your own power. <laughs> Rather than prayerfully depending on the Spirit. Because the Spirit ain't ever going to lead you to be nitpicky and controlling. He's going to lead you to be loving and patient and kind and forgiving. So let's not let the fear of this over here keep us from walking in love for the messy people that Jesus loves. How sad it would be, church, how sad it would be if we just skin the surface with one another. Skin the surface on what it meant to follow Jesus. Skin the surface on godliness and, and obedience rather than going into the depths and the riches of all that God has for us. Let's love the messy people that Jesus loves by taking responsibility. And friends, let me just say this last thing for this point. This doesn't have to be complicated. Like You don't have to be a pastor, a deacon, GC leader to do this. Here, here, here's, here's the formula. Spend time with people. Ask them good questions. Listen well. Speak truth, God's truth. Speak encouragement. Challenge and correct as needed. Pray for people, follow up, rinse, repeat. Like it's not a magic formula. It's spending time with one another. It's getting into good, honest conversations with one another, sharing life together and speaking God's gospel truth to one another and saying, hey, I see this sin in your life. Can I just speak truth to you so that you can walk in repentance? Let me pray for you. Let me love you. Let me encourage you. And let's keep spending time together. That's all it is. No magic formulas, no PhD in theology, PhD in discipleship, it's just being committed and taking responsibility. Finally, love messy people with hope. Love messy people with hope. Like, this one, this one gets me because this so often is my problem. Like, things go sideways for me when I lose hope. Like, when I lose sight of hope in the midst of challenging and pain, Man, that's when stuff in my marriage goes sideways, stuff in pastoral ministry goes sideways. That's when I can become cynical, angry, irritable, not patient, not kind. When you lose hope, so much can go sideways. But friends, when you have hope, my goodness, is it not powerful? Like when you have hope, is it not incredible what you can walk through and endure and accomplish? I mean, is it not hope that allows people that are facing incredible illness to endure? People that are in captivity or being tortured, hope can carry them through. Those who are facing war and famine and poverty, hope can, in, can cause them to endure that and come out on the other side. Like hope is powerful, powerful. How could the Apostle Paul looking at all the mess, all the hurt. And remember, this church hurt him and wounded him. They said terrible things about him. They doubted him. I mean, they, this, this was a place, this was a church community that I don't know if we would call safe. But 
What kept the Apostle Paul engaged? He had hope. He had tremendous hope. And he writes about this hope right at the beginning of his letter in 1 Corinthians 1.8. He says this, He, meaning God, will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. Like Paul's going to bring strong, direct confrontation. He's going to press hard in some ways. But he does it in hope. And right out of the gun, he says, I have hope for you all. I have hope. Why? Because God is faithful. Because of what God is doing in the church, what God is up to in your lives. Because of the power of the gospel, there is always hope. And so Paul had hope. He had so much hope in God's power that even as he calls them on their sin, he can say, you will be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, how incredible is that? Hey, I see all this junk. I see all this mess. I see all this pain, this conflict. I've seen the ways you've hurt me and others. But here's my hope. You're going to be blameless on the day of Christ Jesus. I mean, what a counterintuitive way to look at things. But this is the hope the gospel gives us. And so the question for us, do we have hope for the messy church? Do you believe God's power is greater than the sin and the mess and dysfunction in your life and the life of everyone else? Like when you see what goes on in the church and you see the places where there is sin and there's mess and dysfunction, see the places where we need to grow and believe me, there's plenty of them. But do you more than that, do you see the hope that we have? Then the last day, here's what's gonna be declared over us, blameless, holy, that God's power is at work in this church. Do we have that hope? Friends, how would it change things if we walked in this hope? How would it change the way you engage others? How would it change the way you love and take responsibility if you had this hope? If you had so much hope that you were willing to enter into whatever mess, whatever sin, whatever problem, whatever conflict God would have you and not go and then bail, not go and become cynical and angry, but enter in with love and patience and kindness and endure. Because what is 1 Corinthians say? Love hopes all things, but love also endures all things. That hope causes us to endure. What would it mean to walk in hope? What would it mean to have such hope that cynicism has no place in your heart? Because friends, I think that when we lose sight of hope, when we stop fighting for hope, when we stop gazing at the glory of Christ and the power of the gospel, that's when cynicism really starts to set in. And so friends, we need to cultivate hope. We need to cultivate hope, not in our own ability, not in someone else's ability to get it together, but in the power of Christ. And so let our hearts and our minds be saturated in the hope that we have in Christ. I mean, let, let us meditate on the power of Jesus in our lives, that, that we would look and see the glory of Christ on the cross. What did Jesus do on the cross? He defeated all of our sin. Like he paid the penalty and the judgment that you and I deserved, and he paid it in full, so we are fully and completely forgiven. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But not only that, he broke sin's power the power that sin had on you to corrupt you and enslave you on the, in his death and resurrection, Jesus broke that. And so now if you are in Christ, you've been raised to new life. Like the power of sin has been broken, you are free and you can walk in righteousness. Jesus also defeated every evil ruler and authority and power and he defeated death itself. 
Friends, in the death and resurrection of Christ, we have the complete victory. Are we meditating on that? Are we saturating our minds and hearts in that? Is that is what shaping us and then giving us hope and allowing us to love messy people, allowing us to enter into difficult situations, knowing this, that he who began a good work in you and in your brother and sister will complete it. Friends, if we're going to have that hope, it has to, has to, has to shape our hearts and minds. This is why spending time in God's word, praying, communing, allowing God to shape you matters. It's not to earn bonus points. It's not to get God to like you. It's that we can be transformed into people who are like Jesus and allow the heart of Jesus to shape our heart, the love of Jesus to shape our love, the hope that he gives fill our hearts with hope. And so church, in hope, let us love the messy people that Jesus loves. Let me say this in conclusion. It's easy, and understandably so, it's easy to focus on the negative. Easy to focus on the negative. Easy to to look at your gospel community, easy to look at the church and go, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. This person's in sin. Can you believe what this person's doing? I can't believe what they said. Look at this stuff. Pastor Chris, do you know about this? Pastor Paul, have you heard? Like, it can be so easy. And maybe we don't say it out loud, but we can say it in here. So easy to focus on the negative. Friends, if that's all we're focused on, we are going to miss the incredible amount of hope that is present in this community the power of God that is present in this community. If all we're focusing on is the negative and the sin, here's what we're going to miss. That there are wrecked and ruined sinners that have come to know Jesus in this church. There are those who have been racked with guilt and shame that have been set free from guilt and shame through the power of Christ. That there are people in this community that have walked for years in being enslaved to sin and addiction, and they've experienced freedom and growing freedom and are now walking in righteousness and love righteousness. That there are people who were at one time selfish, men and women who were selfish and self-centered, who now use their gifts and their time and their resources to love and serve others and build them up in Christ. Like that's happening in this church community because of the power of the gospel. Friends, there are those who have battled and wrestled and still do battle and wrestle with things like despair and depression and anxiety, but through the grace of God and the love of the community, they're growing. And each day, they're able to get out of bed and take one step and put one foot in front of the other, and they're growing in their trust of Christ and growing in his grace, and there are people who are loving them in the midst of all that that's happening in this community. Friends, there are marriages who are on the brink that have been restored because of the grace of God in this community. There are children that are being raised to love Jesus and follow him. A new generation of disciples being raised up. And friends, this is a community of people made up of various backgrounds and ethnicities and political beliefs and preferences and all, you name it, all these differences that could divide but been brought together and united in Jesus and love one another as family That's happening. And if all you focus on is the sin and the mess, you will miss the powerful grace of God that is at work in this community. Now, I'm not saying bury your head. No, take responsibility. But friends, we do so in hope. 
We do so with our eyes fixed on the power of God, first and foremost, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in light of the love Jesus has for his church, and in light of what it means to walk in humility, in light of the call to take responsibility and the hope that we have, let us love the messy people Jesus loves. Amen? Let's pray.